today. This is going to be part four as we break our way through our relational mission, a way of life book. Um, we swap. This should be. This is actually chapter two, I believe. Um, yes, chapter chapter two about raising sons and daughters. It's just become part four because of who could speak when. Um, but it's about family, isn't it? His father. We're his family. We're his kids. We're sons and daughters. And the principle is about what it means to raise sons and daughters within the church. It's a value we really hold very dearly within Relational Mission, our family of churches. And um, if you remember, looking back at week one, how did it all start? This series, we're talking about this is grounded in being family, what it means to be real family. We, we looked at what that looks like from a biblical point of view and then in practice as well. We are not a business or an organisation, but we are raising a family. God is raising his family across the planet and for us here at Beacon Church. And being family, it provides us with the best environment for protection, for comfort, for accountability, for feeding, corporate strength together, but also parenting plays a strong part of that, doesn't it? And uh, Matthew 28, when uh, Jesus says, he says to the disciples, go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to be obedient to everything I've taught you, baptizing them and so on. The intention wasn't just for them to pass it on to the next lot and then it stops. <laughs> It's a legacy, it's a generational for them to pass on, to pass on, to pass on. And so it still lands on our, in our laps. We are meant to be disciple makers who will be disciple makers. It's about raising children, the next generation. This isn't just a business, this is the family business. And that's what we're in, because he's dead. Can I just have the slide up please, Janet? Thank you. Oh, hello. Do we have to mute anything? I don't know. Play around with stuff. Um... As before, we've spoken about this whole this line here, strangers to friends to family to parents, about how do people become disciples and how do people become disciple makers. Sometimes we've got to meet people and break the ice with them. We've talked about that before, how they can become friends. We don't want them to stay friends. We want them to become family. We want them to get to meet Christ for themselves as well. How do we do that? But also, don't just stay as family. Let's become parents where we're discipling others who will then disciple Others, And that's what this bit is all about, about family becoming parents. It's one thing to be saved, it's another to be living out the Great Commission of making disciples. Imagine a family where the parents don't advise their children, where the parents don't give their children safe boundaries. We're looking at boundaries just now. Imagine this family where the parents don't model honour and respect, where they don't encourage their children, where they don't demonstrate and explain wise choices. Imagine that family. Those children will be very ill-equipped for the big wide world beyond when they're out fending for themselves, won't they? It starts in the home about setting them up to bring them to maturity to a place where they can navigate the big world and the choices around them in a wise and honourable way. That principle applies to the church as well. We are family. We're meant to be raising the next generation and the next generation in a wise and healthy way to contend with whatever may come their way in the future. So I want to look at three aspects of parenting, of church of discipleship all, these terms all overlap um, to, about what it means to multiply what it means to invest what it means to entrust three different aspects of this family parenting within the church so let's just start at the beginning shall we that's probably a good place to start Genesis chapter 1 we'll look at the word multiply it's a good word Forget your CSEs, O-levels, GCSEs. Let's forget the maths and look at the heart of the word multiply. We might do a little bit of maths later, actually. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, 
Verse 26. Then God said, he's made, he's made the earth, he's made the universe, he's made all the creatures, the living creatures. But there's one more thing, one greater thing to come, that's mankind. Then God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. We're made in the image of the Trinity, aren't we? And let them have dominion. Let the man and woman have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. He could have left it like that. Adam and Eve, the planet's yours to look after. Steward it well. Off you go. Could have left it there, couldn't he? Nice little cosy number. Little wee little family. Could have left it there, couldn't he? But he doesn't. Next verse. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion about stewarding again. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now obviously on the surface of there it's talking about making babies, isn't it? <laughs> That's quite obvious. But there's a spiritual dimension to that. There's more than just have babies and let them go. It's about a raising, about a parenting, about a flourishing as humanity. It's about passing on. Multiply yourselves. See, there, that is a mandate for humanity at large, both physically and spiritually. Because, as we know, things went awry very, very quickly after that. Skip across two chapters. Genesis chapter 3, it goes horribly wrong when mankind, we effectively put ourselves on the throne. We, didn't, we know better than him and we make a choice that goes against his choice. We, we act sovereign in that moment. I and mean, we do every time we give in to temptation. No, I know better, God. I know what I want more than you do. That's what happens. And things went awry very quickly. But in Christ, Jesus paying the price for us that we can stand right before God once again, despite of whatever amount of sin is in our hearts. We're all accountable for that. Because Christ has paid the price that we can stand right before a holy and perfect God, in Christ, we are set back on track for what it means to be fully human. As Christians, we, we are the ones on the planet. As Christians, we are the ones on this planet who get to fully experience and fully understand, bit by bit, what it means to be fully human. It's the, it's the, only, it's the only way it can happen, when you're right before God. And so we are now back on track for this mandate. About multiplying physically, but multiplying spiritually as well. And so raising the next generation is an expectation on us. Not, we're not just here for ourselves. We're here for others. We're here for the lost. We're here for drawing them into the, into the sheepfold, into the sheep pen, if you like. But about raising them to keep on doing the same. It's about the next generation being fruitful in that way. And it's about raising, raising a generation that will overtake us. Psalm 127, verse 4. I love this verse. Psalm 127, verse 4. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Your kids are like arrows in the hands of a warrior. Steve Van Rijn is a, uh, one of our New Frontiers pastors in South Africa. He says this, Children are a handful before they become a quiverful. But their destiny is to be arrows. Not hidden, not sheltered, but fired out. There's an intentionality in there. I love that. Children are a handful before they become a quiverful, but their destiny is to be arrows. Not hidden, not sheltered, but fired out. Arrows are meant to be shaped and crafted carefully, or they won't fly right. They won't fly true, will they? It's a craft, and a, and a careful designing goes into making them, isn't there? There's an intentionality in crafting arrows. 
They are weapons of war as well. They can be weapons of war for good, they can be weapons of war for bad, can't they? And arrows can go further and faster than we ever can. That should be our heart for our children. They can be a weapon for good out there. We should want them to go further and faster than us. But it starts with crafting them and shaping them carefully as they grow, ready for that role, ready to play that part. The ideal is that our sons and daughters, even physically, our our biological sons and daughters, will eclipse us. But the same goes in the church as we're raising leaders, as we're raising the next generation. My prayer and David's prayer and John's prayer is that the next generation of leaders alone, let alone disciples in general, that the next generation of leaders here will do far more than we can. That's our heart. We want to be eclipsed, don't we? We want to be overtaken, making further strides for the gospel, greater impact for the gospel, wider influence for the kingdom in Herne Bay, making deeper roots in Father God and having a higher reach for God's purposes. That's our heart, that the next batch of leaders, whoever that might be, can go further and faster than we can. And that should always be our desire. There is a dynamic that God has instilled in us and it's, a part, it's, it's something that we can all play a part in. It's not just about, oh, it's all very well for you elders, you're raising the next generation of leaders who will sit back and enjoy watching it. This is something we can all be involved in. Discipling and encouraging and spurring one another on and the ones that have a leadership gift, it's a gift. It's, it's not a position. It's a place within all the other places. It's a gift. Leadership is a gift. I'm the same as you. I'm one of you. And I have a gift of leadership. doesn't mean I'm any better than you. Okay, So don't put leaders on a pedestal like that. Please don't. We're all in this together and we have different gifts. But as we disciple and stir, stir each other up, encourage one another, spur one another on, we'll spot who has a leadership gift, who has a gift for hospitality, who has a gift in the prophetic, and so on and so forth. But as we, we can all play a part in that, can't we? We all flourish if we're all investing in the next generation. I don't know if you ever thought, here comes the maths. Like you get a chessboard or a checkerboard, okay? On the first tile, the first square in one corner, you put a penny on there. And then on the one next to it, you double it. So the next one, you put 2p. So what comes on the next one in the row? Oh, you're good at this maths, aren't you? What comes after that? Eight, and then, and so on and so forth. If you start snaking around the board, just by the time you reach the final 64th square, you will have 90 quadrillion pounds which is more than exists on this planet by a long shot. It doesn't take long to get there just by doubling each time. That starts with one penny. Just on that first row, start with a penny and double it each time. By the end of the first row, you've got over a pound already. By the end of the second row, you've got over 30 pounds. Oh, sorry, by the end of the second row, you've got over 300 pounds. By the end of the third row, you've got nearly a million. It doesn't take long. If one person disciples invest in just two people in their lives but each of those disciples invests in two people in their lives that's multiplication and it doesn't take long before you're numbering the dozens and the hundreds and the thousands and then beyond Jesus multiplied himself just through a handful of disciples didn't he and now the church numbers in the billions that exist now let alone the ones that have gone and died before billions in 2000 years it's not that long Multiplication. It's not that hard. We can all play a part, and if we're all playing a part, imagine what can happen. And that starts here, doesn't it? Multiplication. However, 
Multiplication doesn't just happen by osmosis or by magic. We've got to be intentional. We need to do something in order for it to happen. This is where it comes to investing. You don't build up savings properly unless you invest your money. If you've got some money, you can exhaust it. You can just spend it. Burning a hole in your pocket, can't we? That won't multiply your money, will it? Who can put their hands up and attest to, <laughs> that doesn't work. You end up with zero. You can stockpile your money. You can hoard it. That won't multiply it. All you're doing is just adding what you're getting in and keeping it. You're not multiplying it. Or you can invest it. And if you invest it wisely with financial advisors and in whatever it might be, savings accounts or bonds or whatever it might be, it makes your money grow and multiply in whatever small or large way that might be. In Matthew 25, Jesus talks about the parable of the tenants. He talks about a boss man who gives three of his servants some money. One gives one five talents, that coins. Five coins, gives another two coins, another one. The one with five, he goes away and invests it. And when the boss comes back, he's got ten. He's doubled it. He's multiplied it. He hasn't just hoarded it, stockpiled it. He's invested and multiplied. The guy with two comes back with four. He's doubled it. The guy with one, all he did was hoard it. He stockpiled it. He hid it in the ground out of fear. And he comes back with just one. And he gets pulled over the coals for it. And the point is, are we investing in our talents between us? Are we encouraging one another? Are we investing in order to multiply rather than merely add or just keep? Because while we can add for more, ask for more leaders, ask for more workers, ask for more pillars of the church to help us with what's going on at Beacon, we can all get tired, we're all doing lots. That's a legitimate request. It's a legitimate thing to keep asking God. I'm going to keep asking. Send us the people. We need the help to do the discipling. However, I would suggest we do also need to recognise that between us, we have what we need for right now. He knows what we need. So let's not miss what he's given us, thinking, oh, we haven't got it yet. What we need right now, we've got amongst us. It's just knowing how each of us plays our part in the right place, in the right way, to the right degree. And investing in each other will reap dividends. Look for people's gifts. Encourage them. When someone does something well, don't think they did well. Tell them. Tell them. Mike, in the, uh, in the Relational Mission book, he says this. He says, Mike Betts, the strongest, most fruitful context are when there is no single leader, no single idea, no single program, but an atmosphere that is always looking to make more leaders. Just keep our eyes out for who's good at what. And leadership doesn't just mean someone at the front. Different types. We can all lead in different ways, to be honest. Then he continues. What matters is that the world is reached for Christ. That's the crux of it. That's what we're here for. And that more and more and more workers are raised up and sent out. Investing in doing all you can to help multiply others seems wise. To succeed in our mission, we need to invest in our relationships with the next generation. We need to raise up in the language of family, sons and daughters. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul uses this language. He's a leader in the church and he's talking to the church about other leaders he sent them and talking to them as well. And he says, For though, these are the, the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 15 to 17. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. It's different, isn't it? 
He says, For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That's why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. So he's not his biological child, but he's his spiritual son. He said, I sent you my son to help father you. To remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Here is a man with a father's heart to see his children growing up to be the best parents they can be in turn, isn't he? You can hear that family father's heart. And this can and should be not just the elders doing it. It's something we can all play a part in. It should be a community thing. As much as we have ultimate responsibility for how we help you do that and how we spot who God's raising as elders, who God's raising as what, who to, who to place, who to move. We can all play a part in this, can't we? It's not just for the three of us. Investment is about developing a culture where the small things as well as the big things make a difference. You remember in um, Rio 2016, we came second on the medals board. Great Britain came second and we beat China. How did that happen? A lot of factors as to why that happened. That didn't happen by chance. There was a lot of years of investment leading up to that. See, each of our sports has its own talent identification program where children as young as 11 get spotted, get talent spotted. You'll be good at swimming, you're, you're good at cycling, you're good at running, you're good at rowing and so on. And then they, 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 a, 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 a distinctive program that will look for talent amongst our young, young children and then invest them over a number of years. So by the time they come to the right age, when the Olympics is on, they'll fly and get a medal. This starts early. Doesn't, you don't look around when the Olympics come. Right, who've we got? Starts way back before that. And it's the same for us, like I just mentioned. If you see someone who's gifted in the prophetic and it's not been spotted, talk to them. Talk to us. Maybe we've missed it. Let's look for gifts in each other, the gift of teaching, the gift of hospitality. Hospitality is more than entertaining your friends. Some people have a real gift for inviting strangers into their homes. When the Bible talks about hospitality, it talks about you never know, you might have had angels in your house. You don't do that when you have your friends around. These are strangers. Hospitality is having people around your house who you don't know and building relationships. Some people are particularly gifted at that. Look out for it and encourage them. Sometimes you can say to someone, you've got a wise head on young shoulders. That could mean they're a future leader. Tell them, encourage them. Tell us, let's talk about it. We can all play a part in talent spotting, can't we? But it's also the small things in encouraging one another and coming alongside one another. Because also at Rio Olympics, our, uh, one of our golfers, Justin Rose, he won the gold. And he swapped, for the duration of the Olympics, he swapped his five-star, normal five-star hotel uh, room that he'd normally have on his private circuit, on his private tournament. He swapped it for a slim bed in the uh, Olympic Village with the rest of the British team. It's like, no, we're in this together. And um, during a round on the golf course on his way to winning the gold... He spotted across the ropes in the crowd, what's his name, Niall Wilson, 20-year-old Niall Wilson, who's one of our gymnasts, who was there for the first time. And he saw him in the crowd. He also knew him from being in the, in the Olympic Village with him. And he said to Niall, what are you doing over there? This is why he's in the middle of playing his round to win. And Niall's going, I'm, I'm here to watch you, I'm just with the crowd. I'm watch you. He goes, you're not with them, you're with us. Get over here. And he encouraged Niall to get over the rope and go and join him on the green while he was playing. And he went on to win a gold. Little things like that led to Niall six days later winning a bronze in gymnastics because it, it suddenly it gave him that boost like we're in this together. I'm with, I'm with Justin, the gold medalist. And I'm, he considers me one of his kin. 
It just suddenly gives you a boost that people see. They don't have to be explicit about, you're a really good gymnast, you must try harder. It's just, no, you're with us. We're in this together. Suddenly, little things like that give a boost. We can all do that, can't we? It's the small things as well as the big things. Let me ask this question. Are you willing to invest in others? It's easy to be apathetic or passive sometimes. It takes a deliberate decision to be proactive. It's a choice, isn't it? Are you willing to invest in others? Could you parent someone else? What has God put in you that isn't just for you? I suggest we've all got something. If you're not sure, speak to a wiser, more mature Christian to help you discover what it is you can pass on or how to get to that place that you're able to. Maybe you're just a young Christian, you're still learning or you've had some circumstances and trials, you're just not in that place at the moment, that's fine. But speak to someone, let's work it out together. Do you want to play a part is the question. A friend of ours, she, um, they were unable to have children and obviously that was a whole thing. We, had, we spoke with them, spent a long time talking with them about and praying through and that. But she came to the conclusion, if I can't have biological children, I can have spiritual daughters. And she spent a lot of time because she had more free time. She was able to spend a lot of time with young women in the church and she raised up a lot of spiritual daughters who are still very active in the church in a big way and in the workplace, not just in the church, in the workplace as well. She raised spiritual daughters. She recognised God's calling. Then she got pregnant. Now they've got an eight-year-old. God honoured God honored her heart. She laid that to rest, knowing, okay, I can have children another way. I've got a part to play here. That's what she did. All of us, at some point in our lives, could raise spiritual sons or daughters as we grow. Forget age. Don't think, if I'm to raise a spiritual son or daughter, they need to be younger than me because they'll be a son or a daughter. Forget age. It's about maturity. If you're a Christian who's 30 years old and has been a Christian for a long, long time, and there's a new baby Christian who's 62 years old, you could parent them. You've got something to pass on to them. It's not just about who's older and who's younger. It's about who's mature, who's immature, what you can pass on to people and what they can learn from you. Before we move on to the final word, let me just ask one more question. Are you willing to be invested in? No matter how long you've been a Christian, one day, 100 years, are you willing to be invested in? It takes vulnerability, it takes humility, it takes honesty. Have you invited anyone to speak into your life? Openly invited them. I want you to speak into my life. Tell me what you see. If there's something to big up and encourage, please spot it because I might have blind spots. If there's something we need to discuss because my behaviour or my character is not right, I'm inviting you to speak into my life and help me change. That's a big ask. And it takes vulnerability and humility. I've done it with two or three guys now who I know kind of whenever I see them they keep an eye out for me one of them he's got these eyes that burn and look into your soul you just, <laughs> how are you he like he knows I've been sinning look, it's just it's just there but I need that it's good how are you fine no how are you what's been going on what's your week look like what are you struggling with what are you celebrating speak into my life and it's made massive difference world of difference have you invited anyone to speak into your life? If you're not sure who to ask, who to invite, speak to me. Let's, let's work it out. Let's work it out. 
Just the first questions to ask. Are you willing to be invested in? If so, speak to God. Speak to one of your leaders. The final word. Entrust. There's a bit more some of the how. Because you see, multiplication includes investment. To invest in people, it does take a risk. It does involve risk. Because we need to allow people to make mistakes. That's how we learn. Otherwise, it's controlling and you're micromanaging. You're doing it for them, effectively, aren't you? You're just turning someone into a puppet if you're not careful. It does involve risk, but risk does not mean irresponsibility. It's different. Two different things. People won't grow unless we give them room to make mistakes. But there's a way of doing it, creating a safe environment where it's okay if people make mistakes. You're not giving someone the complete wrong job because it's obvious that's not their gift. That's different. But it's about stretching people. There's a lovely story in, in this book that Mike tells about the Admiral, Admiral Nelson, the famous fleet commander from the 18th and 19th century. He had what's called Nelson's Table, is what he had. And this na- the naval hero, he coordinated his fleets via strategic implementation, planning and empowering emerging new talent at his table. They actually did it literally over meals. Around the table, him and all his commanders around the table. And instead of micromanaging, he empowered them and released them. And what happened is they all understood the vision and the aims. They all knew what they were there for. They all knew what the strategy was and how they were aiming to win the battle. They knew what their part to play was. But all were allowed to use their own initiative within that to do it that part their way. And if anyone was successful, everyone else around the table applauded that person. That was brilliant. Well done. Creative, masterful, did the job. Well done. That person gets applauded by everyone else. If anyone failed, everyone took responsibility together. We made a mistake. We can learn from this. What do we need to do next? No one was singled out for making a mistake. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful atmosphere, beautiful culture to grow into. And that's what we want to keep learning how to do here. If there's a success, if you do something right, we're gonna, we want to big you up. If you make a mistake, we're not going to point a finger at you. We're going to learn together and accept responsibility together. I think it's really important. I love that picture. There comes a point as a parent that we need to let our child navigate their own way into the big, wide world. and Trusting that the values and the principles that we've instructed them in, but equally importantly, we've modelled, we can give it all that, and yet our actions show something else. Kids learn by watching, don't they? But if we've modelled it as well, we trust it will pay off as they make their own choices. Have you heard of um, see one, do one, teach one? Watch me do this, now you have a go. Right, you can pass it on and do it yourself. Pass it on to others. See one, do one, teach one. It's a bit of an oversimplification. There's a a nicer way of learning it. Four stages. First of all, I do, I'll do this, whatever this is going to be. Heart surgery, Rubik's Cube, I don't know. Same. I'll do this, you watch me. Okay? That's an easy first stage. I'll do it. You watch what I did. But then the next stage, I'll do it, but you can help me. Third stage, you do it, I'll help you. Final stage, right, you do it, and I'll watch you. Next thing you know, you've just taken someone on a journey. You can do that with car mechanics. You can do it with cooking, computer skills, heart surgery, whatever it might be. But it's not a secular thing, it's a biblical thing. It's an apprenticeship. Jesus did it. What did he say to the disciples? Come follow me. Come on this journey with me. And for a while, I'm going to do and you watch. And then after a little while, I'm going to do and you can help. 
And after a little while, you can do it, I'll help. And after a little while, you'll be doing it and I'll be watching. That's what he did, he took him on a journey. Come follow me, go into all the world. He took the disciples on an apprenticeship. That's how we can learn together. That's the kind of culture we want to see more and more here. Let's learn together. It's in, this can apply to hospitality, talking to people about Jesus, about prayer, prophetic, growing in the prophetic. Well, let's do this together. Let's go on a journey together. Let's meet up. Let's work some stuff out. And over time, you'll be passing it on to others before you know it. That's something we can do. This insists on example, on modelling. It's based in relationship. Recognises character before gifting. Character is vital. If you're doing it out of the wrong heart, then we need to talk about the heart first. If you're doing it out of the, out the good heart, let's see what your gifts are. Let's run with it. And it provides a safe space to grow and make mistakes. It's okay. We're alongside each other every step of the way. How shall I finish? Psalm 128. This, if you don't know already, is my favourite psalm. And I finally found a place I can preach on it from. Hey! Psalm 128. It's about investing in relationships with and for the next generation. And this is primarily speaking to a man in his home, a husband and a father. But this, this principle applies, you see it in practice again and again and again throughout the Bible, where they got this wrong and where they got this right. This is a perfect principle, what I'm talking about here, about legacy, about raising sons and daughters. Psalm 128. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. It's about a reverence for who God is. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways, being obedient, being faithful. You shall eat the fruit of the labour of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Your wife, this one's speaking to the husband, just to give a detail. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. What it means, it's not from within the house, not from the kitchen. Actually, that word means from the side of the house, from the loins of the house. If you're a husband responsible for the home and you follow God and walk in his ways and fear him, you will be blessed and your wife, from out of that place, your wife will just flourish out there. It's about from the sides of the house. It's a beautiful picture. But your children also will be like olive shoots around your table. Olive shoots come out of the ground. This is about your children growing up and the values that you're instilling in them. It's in their sap, right from around the table. There's the table again. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. This is my prayer for my family. This is what I do. But then it goes on. It doesn't stop there. It's not just about the here and now. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. In that Jewish context, he's saying you're going to see generation after generation. We trust this principle. We keep getting passed on again and again. If you've raised your children up in the right values to fear the Lord and walk in his ways, you're trusting that they're going to bring their children up to fear the Lord and walk in his ways. It's disciple making, isn't it? And this is something we can keep running for, pursuing here at Beacon Church, I trust, and across the rest of Relational Mission and beyond. So a couple more questions that I've already kind of semi-asked anyway. What does this mean for you? Are you pouring your life into someone else? This isn't a guilt thing, it's just asking. And if not, maybe now's not the time, but let's talk about it. Do you want to? It requires commitment on your behalf. It requires vulnerability. You're opening up your life. You're willing to be exposed. 
having people around for meals regularly in the middle of the week, not as a dinner party, but just come and gather around our table, they seem to see how you react when your child winds you up or you drop something on the floor. You expose yourself. People have seen me and Jenny arguing. It's real. But when they see how you deal with that argument, trust, trusting you're in the right place before God, how you deal with that between you, people learn. That's what forgiveness looks like. That's what peacemaking looks like. And so on. That's what parenting looks like, etc. That's what, how you deal with the difficulties in marriage. And so on. It's important. It requires spirit-led wisdom and conscience as well. Just be honest with each other as we go. Are you pouring your life into someone else? The other question, are you pursuing people to speak into your life? Just a quick reminder. Again, it requires honesty. It requires a welcoming of critique. Nobody likes that. But I trust if the person you've asked to speak into your life is someone who will give you constructive criticism, immersed, bathed in a whole tonne of encouragement, you did this amazing, you did this, you're really growing here, you're not there yet in that, but you can see it flourishing already. Just this bit, if we can nail this, you watch the rest of it fly. Suddenly you've given someone some critique about something that would seem negative, but it's bathed in this encouragement. There's a way of doing it. Jesus multiplied himself through just a handful of disciples, and now that people numbers in the billions. How are you playing your part? We have so much to pass on. The good news of Jesus, what he's done for us. We've got to pass it on. And that's not just spouting it out in words. It's about living a life and taking others on a journey, isn't it? In what ways can we assure that we'll still get passed on in two generations' time? The average lifespan of churches in this country is about 70 years. From the birth of a church, I don't know if it's changed recently, that was the last observation. Average, a church will start and end in 70 years. I want Beacon to still be here. If Jesus hasn't come again, I want Beacon to still be flourishing in 200 years' time. I don't want it to reach an end of a lifespan. That's not God's heart, is it? But that starts now to make a difference for two generations' time, three generations, and so on. What the changes we're seeing here now and the things we're seeing are stronger now are because of decisions we made five years ago, a lot of it. You don't see it straight away, but it starts paying off. The stuff we're doing now, the stuff we trust, you know, God willing, we're, we're hearing him from him and we're making decisions now, we trust will pay off in five, ten years' time. We won't see the immediate fruit of it, but it pays off later. What we do now will affect the next generation and the one after that and the one after that. Let's pray.